Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Surely men of low degree are vanity, and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, everybody say in the balance. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. I want to use this psalm tonight in some other biblical context to help us understand the God of power and mercy that we serve. We serve a God of power. Amen. Power Sunday. We serve a God of power and a God of mercy. Amen. Are you ready for the word? We've had good worship. Thank you for your good worship. Music was wonderful. Singing anointed. God bless that. Thank you for that. Surely men of low degree are vanity. And men of high degree are a lie to be laid in the balance. They are altogether lighter than vanity. Men of low degree here simply means common man. It means the everyday man, which is then contrasted with men of high degree. This phrase is referring to people of rank or people of position, people of power. The contrast is between the everyman and the people that were in the positions of power and authority. Neither of these descriptions, though, include any speaking of moral character. They are not sending the signal. The writer is not telling us that it is the low man that has the moral character, or the common man. Nor is it the one that is positioned with power and authority that has moral character. It is simply saying that this is their current station in life. This is where they are in their life. But their station in life does not dictate their morality. It does not dictate their righteousness. It does not dictate their virtue. Their station in life, though they be lowly, though they be common, though they be of high rapport, whether they be in powerful positions, it does not dictate their morality. The common or low in the world are subject to sinful vanity is the point the psalmist is trying to make. Their thoughts are vain. Their affections vain. Their minds are vanity. Their conversations are vain, sinful, and foolish. They are as a shadow, fleeting and unstable. There is no solidity in them. They are as a vapor that soon passes away, like the breath that cometh out of the mouth. The psalmist is driving home a point that just because they are in a certain station in whatever station of life you may find to be most pleasing or whichever one you find yourself in does not dictate their righteousness but they are instead full of vanity 
And illustratively, the writer places both of them on the scale. Illustratively, a picture for our mind. He takes both the common, the lowly, and the authority and the power of the higher, higher ones. And he places them on a scale, but they have no substance. And it doesn't matter what is placed on the other side of the scale. They simply will just rise up into the air because they have no weight to them. They have no value to them. You could put anything on the other side and it would not be anything compared to the weight that they are because they have no weight at all. They can bring balance to nothing. They have no weight or bearing in any real way. They cannot make a difference. This is not simply the psalmist's way of tearing down humanity. The Bible does not tear down humanity. In fact, the Bible goes to great lengths to build up humanity. It goes to great lengths to encourage us over and over again that we are his highest creation, that we are capable of far more than what we do with our lives, that we have great value and purpose. So much is humanity purposeful and so much value do we have that he goes to the cross and he lets himself endure the cross and the shame and the beatings of the cross in Calvary because he wants us to understand how valuable we are and how much purpose we have in our life and how much he loves us. So the psalmist is here not to just tear down humanity but instead to drive home a point that humanity must recognize that of ourselves we are all vain. And humanity by itself has no power to save. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot save others. We cannot save our children. We cannot save our world. By ourselves, we have absolutely no power to save. Weighed against our interests. Weighed against our needs. Weighed against what recognized as any kind of real value. There is nothing there in humanity. It is all all just vanity. All of mankind from the common to the kings of the earth with all their hosts of war and all princes and nobles with all that they can summon from the lower ranks of their people cannot save one soul from death. There is no president or potentate. There is no king. There is no person that sits upon any throne that can save one soul from death cannot deliver us from the consequences of our transgressions. God and God alone is able to save our soul. God and God alone is able to transform the vanity of humanity into something valuable and something beautiful and something purposeful. Oh, I'm glad that I came to a recognition at some point in my life that I am nothing and he is everything and I can do nothing but my God can do everything oh hallelujah and then the psalmist declares in 62 and 10 trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery if riches increase set not your heart upon them He's talking about other ways that we try to make ourselves more powerful than we are. We try to bring substance into our lives. We try to make ourselves bigger. We try to do something, abusing and using others for our personal gain. That is not a lasting answer to bring any real value into your life. 
The fact that you might be able to dictate and control and cause others to do whatever you want them to do because they're scared of you or afraid of you is not anything valuable. Thievery, he says, of others' belongings or their thoughts or their ideas is not an answer to bringing value into our life. Taking what may be good in someone else's life and trying to make it good in ours is not anything of value in our life. And he even talks about money and people who already have money. He's talking about people who have money enough that it's making them money. And he says having money that makes you money is not a reliable source of salvation. Being in a place where you no longer even have to think about money is not the value that you need in this life. It's not the substance that when you put it on the scale of your eternal soul is going to make any difference. It has no weight. It carries no bearing. Rich and poor will stand before the throne of God side by side. Every one of us will stand there before the throne of God and whether or not we are being able to enter into that that wonderful world of heaven someday has nothing to do with the size of our bank account or how much money we can collectively say we have. It has everything to do with the great and mighty God. God has spoken, he says in 6211 now. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. Power belongeth unto God. Here the writer uses an intention-grabbing tactic. The repetition calls you to be attentive to what he is saying in the text. The origin, the origin of what comes next is not of man, but it is of God. It's been declared twice for clarity, he says. Amen. To drive home the point. And what is the message that God is trying to drive home the point uh, through the 62nd Psalm? Power belongs to God. Power belongs to God. Hallelujah. Today is Power Sunday. We need a powerful experience. We need a powerful experience in our lives. We need a powerful God in our lives. Hallelujah. Common man cannot do it. Men of position and earthly power cannot do it. Abuse, manipulation, thievery, and cheating will not work. More money is never going to be the answer for what our soul needs. I need the power that God alone has. Oh, hallelujah. And I know that the 62nd Psalm only uses a handful of things illustratively here, but it's trying to make a point that we need to get whether or not you ever have a position of power on earth, whether or not you ever steal from anyone else's ideas or thoughts or money, whether or not you have money upon money that you never worry about money again. If it doesn't fit you in that category, the psalmist is not saying you're fine. The psalmist is not trying to make an illustrative point that it doesn't matter what you think is going to get you where you need to be in God. It doesn't matter what you think is going to deliver you, help you, or keep you from evil. It is not going to work unless that one answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I've got the Lord Jesus Christ on my side, Amen. Who can come against me? I need the power that God alone has because my sin is too prevalent and pervasive. My failure is ever before me and unavoidable. My past is ever present and it condemns me. I need a power that has weight and substance and value. I need something that I can set on the scale. Amen. 
I need something that I can sit on the scale. I need a power of substance. I need a power that has a history of being successful. Oh, hallelujah. There is a wild event in the Old Testament book of Daniel. It displays this reality that the psalmist is describing to us. Daniel chapter 5. The king, Belshazzar, the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which is in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them, and they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. This king is having a party in his kingdom. And he begins to drink of the wine. He begins to behave badly. And he makes a very dangerous decision in his inebriated condition. His father, the king before him, Nebuchadnezzar, had sieged and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 586 B.C. And he had taken from the holy temple of God the golden and silver vessels. These were designed and created to be used in worship unto the Lord. They were blessed and anointed of God to be used in holy worship. And Belshazzar invites his fellow partiers to drink wine from them. And as they do this, they begin to praise their gods, the gods of gold and silver, brass and iron and wood and stone. They gave their praise to that which they thought to be powerful. They thought these things to be powerful because they considered themselves the ultimate power and they praised what they could use. They praised the things that they could accumulate. They praised the stuff that they could build. They praised the buildings and they praised the things that they could create and with these things of wood and stone and gold and silver. But then, while this king is in this party mode and while he is drinking and, and making merry and doing very in, ignorant things, I'm trying to use a better word, He sees something spectacular. He sees the fingers of a man's hand appear in the room. In Daniel 5, 5 and 6, the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace where the light from the candlestick was shining up on the wall. The king sees a hand begin to write. And he saw what the hand wrote. And the Bible says his countenance changed. He knew something incredible was happening. And his thoughts began to trouble him. 
so that the joints of his loins were loose and his knees smote once against another. He was so afraid by what he was seeing, he began to shake. He went from partying and fleshly fun. He went from drinking and dumb decisions to suddenly being scared awake. He's worried now because he sees the writing on the wall. So he does what he thinks will bring him the answers that he needs. Daniel 5, 7 and 8, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. He brings in all of them, the astrologers and the soothsayers and all of those that involve themselves in, in this dark magic and witchcraft, all the, anything he can get his hands on. And he says, I'll make you rich and I'll make you powerful. You just tell me what that says on the wall. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. They couldn't do it. In that moment, they were just vanity. It's just useless. They could have no answer. No matter what they thought of themselves before that moment, no matter how powerful they seemed to be to common man, no matter what other people of their culture may have thought about them, no matter what high place or high attention they may have been given by others, in that moment, they were useless. The king, in despair, because none of them have the ability to do what needs to be done. His regular sources of power and help were useless to him now. And in his fearful and confused state, a help is offered. When the queen reminds him of a man that had helped his father interpret some things in the past. A man by the name of Daniel who had done what no one else was able to do in the past. And so a situation has replayed itself just like daddy, his son, finds himself in a position where he needs an answer and nobody else has it. Daniel was one of the Jews that had been taken captive when they had conquered Jerusalem. And Belshazzar recognizes this when he is brought before him. And he says to Daniel, he offers Daniel position and money. If he will interpret the writing on the wall, I'll give you whatever. I'll, I'll put a gold chain around your neck. I'll put robes of scarlet around you. I'll make you the third most powerful person in the kingdom. I'll do whatever. Hey, just tell me what it says on the wall. And Daniel responds to Belshazzar in 5 and 17. And Daniel answers, said before the king let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another you know what he's saying he's saying that's all vanity he's saying he can put that on the scale and it ain't going to make any difference that has no meaning, it has no substance, it has no power. I don't need your money. I don't need your scarlet. I don't need you to tell me I have power because I have a God. 
Oh, hallelujah. I don't need you to tell me who I am because my God already told me who I am. I don't need you to protect me. My God has already proven that he will protect me. I don't need you to give me money. My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the provider of everything I could ever need. I don't need your position and I don't need your attention. I've got the attention of heaven because I'm a child of the king of kings. Oh, I wish somebody would realize in this house tonight that there is nothing that man can do for you but there is a God who can do everything that you'll ever need him to do oh hallelujah it's all vanity it's all vanity it's all vanity it's all vanity it all just keeps coming back around but it's all vanity our world just keeps proving over and over again that it has no substance Everything that we're told to think is important one day has no importance the next. Everything that we're sold has great value has no value a week later. Everything we are told we're supposed to think, we're supposed to believe, and we're supposed to act. Amen. Give them a little bit of time, and they'll crucify you for thinking it and believing it and acting like that. Because there's no value. Because it's vanity. And Daniel understands that it's just vanity. And so when the king tries to appease himself because he knows the writing on the wall is for him, he knows it's not for everyone else, it's for him. He's scared of it because he's a, there's something inside of his soul that he knows that that's not good news. Something about laying there in that kingdom in his inebriated state with these holy vessels in his hand drinking that wine like an ignorant person seeing and knowing where these came from. Knowing the great God, hallelujah, of Jerusalem was a part of those things being created in the first place. And now he's using them and abusing them for his own pleasure. And he knows that he should not be doing that. And he knows that's what the wall has to say, but he can't read it. And he needs some help, and so he tries to buy off Daniel, and Daniel says, I don't want anything you have to offer. Daniel tells him that his father only had the kingdom because God gave it to him in the first place. He says, Belshazzar, you, you, you forget. The only reason why your dad, Nebuchadnezzar, even has a kingdom is because God gave him a kingdom. It wasn't because he was powerful. It wasn't because he was mighty. It wasn't because he was wonderful. It was because God allowed him to have a kingdom. That's the only reason why he had a kingdom. That's the only reason why you have a kingdom. But it came to an end. He says, you need to remember. This is what I like about Daniel. Daniel walks in the room. The king says, I want you to interpret what's on the wall. And Daniel says, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. I got some things to say. He says, you need to remember, Belshazzar. You need to remember that God taught your father a hard lesson. 
But when his heart was lifted up, this is him talking about his father and his mind hardened in pride. I need you to hear your preacher, hear your pastor, hear me tonight. When his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. God kicked your father out of the throne and took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. And his heart was made like the beast. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. And they fed him with the grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the of the heavens till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men. God just kept bringing him lower until he remembered there's a God who rules the kingdoms of men. Oh, hallelujah. He just kept bringing him lower until he remembered he never would have had a kingdom in the first place had God not allowed him to do it. And he appointed over it. This is what he says. He, he gives him the kingdom and he appointed over it whomsoever he will. God, the Bible says in another place, sets up kingdoms and tears down kingdoms. He is the ultimate authority. There is no higher power. But it's a hard lesson for Nebuchadnezzar to learn. And this hard lesson was learned by Nebuchadnezzar. But apparently it was not learned by Belshazzar. Unbelievable to me that Belshazzar could watch what his father went through. Unbelievable to me that he could observe the pain and the destroying nature of Nebuchadnezzar's life because of his pride and because of his heart and mind. And he could watch his dad go through that and then still find himself in this position where he's holding a holy, a holy vessel and drinking out of it. And praising his gods. You had opportunity to be different, Belshazzar. You had opportunity to live different. You had opportunity to embrace the power of God. In Daniel 5, 22, 23, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. You knew all of this, but you didn't humble yourself. But you lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of this house before thee, and thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold, of brass, iron, wood, and stone, which see not, nor do they hear, nor do they know. You're praising your man-made gods who can't see you, don't know you, can't hear when you cry. And the God in whose hand, I need you to look at it, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways thou hast not glorified. He says, you're sitting in here with holy vessels, drinking wine from them and praising your man-made gods while the God who holds the breath that you are taking, you are giving no glory to. You are not honoring. You are not worshiping. You're not obeying. The only God with real power Instead, you're worshiping yourself and your stuff. And Daniel interprets the writing on the wall. 
which all of it is very, very significant, but I'm not going to take the time to preach all of it tonight. But I want you to look at this part as it relates to our context of the message. In Daniel 5 and 27, in the middle of when he is interpreting the writing on the wall, it says, Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. He says, Belshazzar, you have been put on the scale and you are nothing but vanity. Oh, I know you've got the kingly robe. And I know everybody's doing what you tell them to do. And I know you have all the power and all the authority and all the money. And I know you think you can behave any way you want to behave and do anything you want to do because you are so big and powerful. But Belshazzar, the Lord is telling you with the writing on the wall that you have been put on the scale and it is nothing. It makes no difference. It has no weight. There is no substance your substance is vanity your money is vanity your power is vanity and you have been weighed and there's nothing there i make a simple point this evening we need real power And when we don't have it, it's all vanity. There is a God that is very real and very present and in this house right now to help us, to challenge us, to change us, to mold us, to make us into what we need to be. There is a God that is in this place at this very moment. Oh, I know we're not shouting and dancing and running the aisles, but I'm telling you, uh, just as sure as we felt it this morning, uh, he's the same God that's here tonight. Uh, whatever greatest service you've ever been uh, is the same God that's in this place tonight. And as sure as we know that, we need to understand that that God is in this house uh, because he wants to mold us uh, and he wants to change us uh, and he wants to build us into something of value. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord, everybody. First Samuel 2 and 3, as I'm going to come to a close now. It says, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, look at it now, look close. Actions are weighed. He is a God of knowledge, which means he knows what you think. He knows what you say. He knows what's in your heart. But our actions, our actions, what we do gets weighed. It gets weighed. It gets weighed. Which means I can call myself a person of faith, but my actions are going to get weighed. It means I could call myself an apostolic Pentecostal Christian, but my actions are going to get weighed. It means I can say that I love people. I can say that I'm merciful. I can say that I, that, I, that I have care or concern or help for others, but my actions are going to be weighed. 
I can say I've forgiven them, but my actions are going to be weighed. The Lord God of all knowledge. Oh, hallelujah. By him, actions are weighed. In Jesus' name. Pray with me for a second. God, I pray that you help us tonight. I pray that you help us tonight. Come on, somebody, pray with me just for a little bit here. Jesus, in your name, we need you to speak to our lives. We need you to help us. We need you, Lord, to be powerful. We need you to be powerful, Lord God. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us with our self-sustaining thoughts. Help us, Lord God, with prideful arrogancy. Help us, Lord God, with vanity. Help us, I pray, Lord God, with thinking that somehow we got this under control or it's going to be all right. Help us, I pray. Jesus. Jesus. By him, actions are weighed. So we go back to the 62nd Psalm. God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. But the psalmist is not done yet. He finishes with one more verse. Also, somebody say also. Also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy. All the power belongs to God and everything we go to is vanity and we are nothing but vanity without God. But also belongeth to this God of power mercy. For thou renderest to every man, look at it again now, according to his work, according to his action. In the next few moments, our actions are going to matter. In the next few moments, what we do is going to matter. How we respond, how we pray, what we open up to God. What places inside of us that have been locked that we will release to Him. What prideful arrogancy we will let go of. That's going to matter because the God who knows the actions and weighs the actions. The man, he gives his mercy to every man according to his work. Oh, hallelujah. He is a God of power, but he is also a God of mercy. And maybe you've looked to the wrong things. Maybe you've trusted in what you now know to be vanity and maybe you've been very bold in your beliefs until they came up short and maybe you've maybe you've messed with holy things and you've been weighed in the balance and you come up very short you've come up very short the question is what do we do now Stand with me if you would, please. What do we do now? What are we going to do with the writing on the wall? What are we going to do? Do you understand? 
that the writing on the wall is not just a display of God's power. It's also a display of God's mercy. The writing on the wall is not just God saying, look what I can do. It's God saying, while you're in the midst of sin, while you are in the middle of worshiping idols, while you are right dab in the middle of ignoring me, I have mercy. I have mercy because the hand on the wall does not kill Belshazzar. It calls him out. It calls him out. I don't believe I'm preaching this message tonight. I don't believe God put this message on my heart to try to kill somebody. I believe it's because God's trying to call us out. But what did Belshazzar do? He still tried to give Daniel the money and the position and the power. He tried to give Daniel all the stuff that Daniel said it's vanity. I don't want any of that. He tries to give it to him, but he doesn't do anything to change. He doesn't repent. He doesn't cry out to God. He doesn't say, Lord, have mercy. I'm sorry that I was so boldly and so shamefully sinful that I put my hands on holy things. He doesn't fall on his knees, on his face. He doesn't kick everyone out of the room. He doesn't force the kingdom to go into prayer and fasting. He just tries to pay Daniel off with vanity. And Daniel 5.30 says, In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. A display of power but he also had a display of mercy it was merciful that God uses Daniel to remind Belshazzar of his father Nebuchadnezzar it was merciful for him to say is that what you want is that the life you want to live do you want to end up like your father did is that what you're trying to accomplish that was mercy it was power but it was mercy. And Belshazzar didn't do anything except try to buy something off and then go back. And he's killed that night. And it's over for him. And he enters into his damnation for eternity. There is plenty of power in this place right now. plenty of power anytime you're in the presence of God what was what was the what was the lady that was here today how long ago had she spoken in tongues lady that was here today speaking in tongues back here my wife asked her if she had spoken in tongues before she said yes one time 33 years ago and God brought her here today God positioned all of the pieces to put her in this place this morning so that she could feel power but that she could also feel mercy and when she felt the power 
something about the power of the power of God that was in this place this morning and is still in this place right now. Something about that power caused her to reach out to that power because there was mercy there as well saying I'm here for you and God refills her with the Holy Ghost 33 years after she received it for the first time. have to act on it you have to act on it because God is going to judge the actions he's going to weigh the work or we can just go back and never know when the end comes and never know that we're about to miss out on our last chance my God in heaven I wish you would lift a hand in the air close your eyes and begin to call upon the name of Jesus ha sato Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.